I'm excited today to welcome a guest on the podcast, Joe Saavedra. He is the founder and CEO of Infinite Objects. You may have heard about Infinite Objects. Their slogan is, we print NFTs. They create bespoke physical representations of digital assets. You can take your NFT, like, for example, an NBA Top Shot moment, and they'll create a physical display for you to keep at home or wherever that showcases your NFT. Now, I'll let Joe explain that, and I'll let Joe introduce himself. So welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Tony. Yeah, my pleasure. Very excited to you know tell you about IO and, and what we're up to. Yeah, like you said, we really specialize in physicalizing a digital asset that is backed by the blockchain. And uh, we do a lot of really unique things around data and around provenance, as well as ownership in terms of authentication when it comes to the idea of you printing an NFT that lives on chain. So our product is really unique in terms of the hardware. Our product is very much, it is a display, but it is immutable, meaning it's permanently treated. The content that you receive on the display can never be changed by the end user. And that is really a total flip, a reversal of what we kind of have come to expect from display technology. We almost are disappointed when a screen doesn't connect to Apple TV or doesn't have Bluetooth or the app doesn't support X, Y, or Z feature. We actually have no app. There is no connectivity whatsoever. Our product has no buttons or switches. It turns on in your hand. And the device itself is really much more of a design object than it is a gadget. Yeah. And that's something that is really critical in terms of, you know, explaining what does it mean to to print an NFT, but also what does it mean to be holding a tangible version of a digital asset? Yeah. We're the opposite of the screensaver that you might see on a lot of other products. We're the opposite of just a gallery or a slideshow. Um, this is really a physical twin to yeah. that digital asset. I think that's beautiful and that's worth like kind of underscoring the fact that, you know, maybe if I go to my friend's house, I see someone, he has that sort of slideshow of like photos from his wedding or whatever, but this is very, very different. And while you might go on the infinite objects, the IO website, and it's like, oh, it reminds me of a sort of like a slideshow. It's definitely different. So this whole sort of physical twin of a digital object, that seems very much in line with a sort of Web3 thinking as well, and it's different than just the slideshow display of photos. Now, what was the inspiration for that? Like, what was the sort of influence and how did you get started with this company in the first place? You know, my background is in hardware and software development. I moved to New York in 2008 to go to grad school. Holy crap, that was a long time ago. And I studied design and technology. And that was really when I got very, very deep into coding, into software development, into app development, and then also into hardware development. So I really became an electrical engineer of sorts and, and got very deep into the Internet of Things community. This is back in the early 2010s. Uh, really started developing a lot of different prototypes and applications of physical consumer packaged goods that, that were all about data and connectivity. It's funny because Infinite Objects is very much about data. Even though people do see us as a hardware company, we are much more of a data company and a software company that people realize. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the idea of, of really thinking about how we experience and how we value digitally native content, specifically video, came from my R&D work with Giphy. 
So I was doing a lot of different projects. This is now, I'm talking about 2015, 2016, with a whole slew of different companies and, and projects. Giphy was one of the partners of an R&D studio that I was working at back then. And I spent most of my time for about three years working on R&D projects that were both AR and VR, mobile apps, web apps, all of them focused around how we consume, you know, GIF. GIFs, right? Which is essentially a, a moving image or a video. And the idea was really just how can we think about that experience that is not something that is simply swiping in an app or visiting a URL. And so, like I said, most of the experiments were software, but I started pitching them on hardware ideas. And the founder of Giphy, Alex Chung, is also on our board now. He is an incredible guy. He actually had a, a hardware background in a previous life. And he was all into, he was totally into it. And so we started prototyping a lot of different experiences and, and kind of form factors around how can you be really valuing and enjoying this content, which again is always viewed on a screen, but again, not in a, in a familiar context. One of those experiments was the idea of permanence. And thinking about a display, again, not as a gadget with a, a list of features, but instead as simply a vessel for one asset. Now, our products hold up to two gigabytes of video. You know, that's that can be 24 hours long of content, but it is always that piece of content. And that, you know, arriving at that prototype and thinking about, okay, what kind of communities would be excited about this? And also, what types of content? does this make sense for was kind of the, the initial light bulb that was like, this is very, very much worth exploring further and digging deep. And so I, I founded the company in 2018 and we launched our first collection of infinite objects in the space of art. And, you know, back in 2018, NFTs were just nascent, obviously, you know, my background in crypto, I've been, you know, just casually buying crypto maybe since 2016 in 2019, I minted a, I purchased a crypto kitty and that was my first NFT. And I saw Super Rare and I saw Nifty Gateway launch right around that time and, uh, and even reached out to them and said, hey, we are doing something that is very similar to NFTs. I'll explain a little bit more. That initial launch collection, which was in the fall of 2019 or winter of 2019, right at the end was, like I said, art. We focused on art for that first go-to-market segment because that is a community that really does value content. It's also a community that really values scarcity. And the fact that our product is permanently treated with the content that is on it creates this opportunity to say, this piece only exists 10, 50, 100 times. There's only ever going to be 100 of these and they are signed by the artist. They are hand numbered by the artist. We have a very unique opportunity. And actually, I have one of those initial launch pieces actually on my desk here. <laughs> Love to see it. Yeah. yeah. This is a, a very unique piece that's been treated. And I, I realize we're on audio for those listeners. Yeah. But what uh, you're looking beautiful. at is a, a video of a, of a guy. He's actually been painted white. And there is an intermediary layer on top of the display. So that creates a kind of textural element with the guy's face cut out in the middle of the intermediary layer of this, essentially a, like a static front art layer. And this creates active and non-active pixels in a really unique way, but again, only makes sense for a display that will only be showing this video. 
The other really exciting aspect of the product is the backside. Because this is never going to change, the backside becomes an opportunity to create a certificate of authenticity. In this case, it's hand-signed and hand-numbered by the artist, obviously has metadata about the piece, in this case, the title and the uh, any other kind of um, information about the unit. So that launch was amazing and, and telling the story of what a video print is, and that's that's what we ended up calling our product at that time is a video print, was perfect to do through the lens of art. And so that was really exciting. Our pitch to artists was very simple. You are posting content all the time online. It is digital content. You're getting hundreds of thousands of likes, but your opportunity to be able to monetize, the opportunity to connect with that audience outside of just a like on Instagram or a swipe on TikTok is way more exciting when you have something physical to offer them, right? To actually sell them that digital content. And the other element on the collector side, the idea of collecting a video, we have not done since DVDs or VHS tapes, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And so this really creates that opportunity for the collector and the consumer side, and then creates that monetization and, and kind of uh, community building side on the artists and, and creator side. One thing I'm, I'm thinking right now as you're describing this is that in many ways, this is the closest thing to a modern version of just the physical piece of art, right? Like if I go to the Louvre and I see the Mona Lisa, I know that's the one Mona Lisa, right? If my buddy has it on display at his, on his wall, it's clearly not the real Mona Lisa. And when you are printing an infinite object piece of artist X, then we know that that is a sort of like completely unique thing. It's not just another picture or print of the art, but the original artwork itself. And it reminds me of like, I don't know if like, let's say there's only one piece of sports memorabilia, like one jersey that LeBron James wore at this game, and then you have a version of it, you know that you own that one jersey. It's not like a copy of a jersey. It's like the literal one. So with this, even before NFTs were a thing, I could see value in this from an artist. Like, let's say in 2018, before NFTs were, I mean, they were technically a thing, but weren't big. If I was an artist and I just wanted to create, I don't know, like my piece physically, infinite objects could create like the twin of that. In a way, it's like it's kind of like a pseudo NFT in a way itself, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and even more so going into the future. We'll talk about the future maybe a few minutes here, but I do want to point out that you're you're exactly correct. Like we think of this as its own product category. The same way that every time the Lakers win a championship or there's a new Spider-Man movie yeah. and yeah. you see collectibles just created across the board, whether that is like a Funko Pop doll or whether that is a poster, the idea of creating memorabilia out of moving images or video is just a very natural progression. And, and so yeah. Infinite Objects very much kind of pioneered that concept. And and uh, and obviously, we've got a utility patent on, on everything around the device yeah. and the design itself. But it is the pitch to artists, like, like I said, was very straightforward. And it resonated with a lot of them. Right. Yeah. They're like, this is amazing. Like, I would love to be able to sell my video. One of the artists that we were pitching was Beeple. Mm -hmm. And this was now, I'm talking about January of 2020. Beeple, I had been following Beeple for a while. He had about a million followers at the time and shipped him a few units. And, you know, he said, send me some samples. Didn't hear back from him until like October of 2020. And I, there was a pandemic and a global shutdown. But in October, he reached out and said, hey, I finally picked up these things. They're amazing. Have you heard of NFTs? And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, yes. Have heard of NFTs. 
very excited about what our product uh, can mean alongside an NFT. And he had just finished his first Nifty Gateway drop and was preparing his second one. And he said, for the next one, I want to offer an infinite object alongside every single piece. And so every single NFT sold. And that was the, like, I think he did like three and a half million dollars in a weekend. It was the first time people started talking about NFTs and really writing about them in in kind of mainstream media. And it was very amazing to kind of plant our flag and be a part of that really very sharp, you know, bull run at that time. And so since then, we've partnered with hundreds of artists, communities, NFT projects, and NFT platforms. And so, yeah, it's it's been a really incredible, you know, year and a half, two years to really being a part of that story and, and kind of becoming this really unique reward or incentive for NFT collectors to be able to show off their work, their collection, their piece, not in a browser. Because I think one of the worst or saddest things is to invest $500, $5,000 or $20,000 in a token and then have to open safari on my phone to show my friend what i just bought our product elevates the content in like again like a beautiful design object you know kind of capacity and then allows you to you know live with it put it in your space in your living room on your coffee table or on your desk at work and so yeah i do think it is something that's really necessary and something and and our approach is just uh you know totally unique from other displays out there Totally. And I think that it could be kind of not deceiving, but like if you take a first glance at infinite objects, like, oh, this is just like a digital frame kind of thing. But it goes a lot deeper than that. I'd love to learn more about working with artists. I saw that you had the sort of IO artist registry. People obviously was one example of that, but people's example of an artist you work with. But as you mentioned, there's lots and lots more. How does that work exactly? Is it just anybody who's an artist can come submit display? How do they interact with you? How is that different than anyone else? Yeah. So we work with artists a lot of different ways. Sometimes an artist will come to us and they'll say, I would like to gift my collectors this, you know, an infinite object, a physical of whatever they own. And so we do that in a lot of different ways where we will work directly with the artist and ship directly to their collectors. We also, for a case of art blocks, Eric Calderon, you know, uh, Snowfro, he said, I want every Chromie Squiggle owner to be able to authenticate their ownership and purchase a physical of their Squiggle. And so we have a token gated purchase experience that we work with Manifold on. And, you know, you as a Squiggle owner are able to authenticate your Squiggle through, you know, your wallet with your wallet and then place that order. Other artists, like I think this week, there's a Brian Brinkman drop on Nifty Gateway. So we're working directly with Nifty Gateway. I mean, Brian has been a friend for a while now. And so, you know, with Nifty Gateway, we're we're working directly with them to help offer that. And then more excitingly, in the future, and and not even in the future, we're already uh, in public beta of a widget for any platform to be able to offer infinite objects on their platform as an additional add-on. The registry that you described is part of the system, similar to the token gating checkout that I described a second ago. This is one where you are using your wallet to preview every asset that you own in an infinite object and then place an order of an authenticated NFT video print. 
when we launched that tool, first we launched with uh, NBA Top Shot. So that was a flow integration. We worked with Dapper Labs, who is an investor. You log in with your Dapper wallet, preview all of your moments in Infinite Objects, and then can place an order of any Top Shot NFT in a physical form. When it came to artwork on Ethereum, we built this tool for using, you know, obviously MetaMask integration, Wallet Connect. You're able to preview everything like I described. But we wanted the artist to be involved because in that case, the IP really does belong to the creator. Even though you own that artwork on chain, you don't actually own the rights to that artwork on chain. And we as a company didn't want to just kind of blindly make revenue off of other IP that we don't necessarily have the right to print. and. We want the artist to be benefiting from that experience as well. So about actually about a little bit under a year ago, we launched a smart contract on Ethereum for any artist to be able to grant infinite objects permission to be able to physicalize their artwork for their collectors. So the idea is you as the artist go to that artist registry page on infiniteobjects.com and sign that smart contract to say any NFT that has been created by this wallet. So you do need to be the wallet creator, the creator wallet, which is part of the OpenSea API and and the kind of NFT spec in general. Any NFT that has been created by this wallet can be purchased by collectors who own it. The other part there, the more exciting part, is the artists also get to set a price point, which directly affects how much we pay the artist on every sale. And that for us is really important because we're not just involving the creator in the process of how their work is treated, how their work is physicalized, but we're also allowing them to get some upside in this idea of printing it. Because one artwork might be printed many times, right? If it trades hands, then it could be printed many times over. And so we want the creator to, to have a say in how their work is treated. And, and so that the artist registry that you're referring to is the smart contract that allows for that. I see this actually being applied to, I mean, it could apply to any artist or creator in the broadest sense of the term, right? Like, I mean, hypothetically here, if I had a TikTok video, like that was six seconds long or something like that, that I've created that's gone viral, has become culturally relevant for some reason, that could theoretically become like like theoretically mint that as an NFT, and that could become an infinite object. I feel like you know if you put aside NBA Top Shot, like if they're just like I don't know, like a GIF of LeBron doing some famous dunk that like won the game, that could also become an infinite object. I'm sure maybe entertainment brands would want this to be could utilize infinite objects. I can understand how artists and digital artists, NFT artists, might be the best starting point for this. But am I right to think about the sort of applicability that could go beyond? And I guess this goes to the question too about like what's the future of infinite objects? You know, I mean, there's the world of art purely just like in this like tra- traditional definition of art is is big enough. But I'm curious to know like where the future lies in terms of where you might expand or maybe focusing in the near future. Hundred percent. So let me talk to a couple of the points that you just made. We have on our website a user generated content printing product. So this is the user experience where you upload a video from your phone or from your laptop and order a physical version of that video. And it really creates this opportunity to actually gift a TikTok video. 
And it doesn't need to be culturally relevant. It doesn't need to have gone viral. It just needs to be meaningful to you. Yeah. Right. And that could be a video of your kids' first steps. Exactly. Your, wife, your vacation, your pet, right? That is a huge part of our audience and a, a huge application for our hardware specifically. But you're right. The idea of being able to tokenize that, why not? Why shouldn't you be able to tokenize uh, your TikTok at the same time that you memorialize it as a physical object and really elevate that video beyond just the likes that you get in an app? So that absolutely agree with. On the entertainment and kind of popular culture side, we have worked with movie studios. We have worked with, like, honestly, a lot of marketing agencies. We kind of represent this new way to distribute content and celebrate content, but it also is a beautiful way to tell a story, right? And so when you think about marketing, when you think about advertising, when you think about whether it is film, TV, video games, like all of those sectors, video is, is how we record things. Video is how we document things and celebrate things. The idea of physicalizing it and distributing it, we have worked with just a ton of mainstream IP, as well as even not so mainstream, but just literally kind of marketing campaigns. And so, yes, there's just so many different applications to what it means to hold a video and, and kind of distribute a video. I was just going to touch on the point that you made earlier that I think you, we kind of put a placeholder in, but, you know, when you think about people perceiving infinite objects as like a frame hardware company, but you said it might be better to think about it as a data company, maybe you could expand on that. And I guess that this might be good timing for that. So at the same time that we released the Top Shot authenticated NFT prints, and then the Ethereum authenticated NFT prints. We really started to think about the data side of things in a totally different way. Up until that point, so now I'm talking like a year and a half ago now, maybe up until about, well, close to two years ago, we were really just thinking about the video. We were just thinking about the file. We were just like, how can we make the file look as good as possible and, and give it this awesome treatment? But the moment that we started authenticating ownership and then thinking about, well, what does it mean to hold an asset? in a wallet, in a digital wallet, and then take that asset and bring it into real life, we started thinking about provenance and ownership and authenticity. And so what that led to was essentially creating a model where every time a collector, an owner of an NFT says, yes, I own this and I would like to physicalize it, we are recording not just, okay, what NFT is this connected to on chain? What is the video file format? What is the resolution aspect ratio, et cetera? Sure, of course we're collecting that. But we're also recording who owned it at what time of this physicalization, of this printing. And then also, how many times has this NFT been physicalized in this form factor, in this particular instance? Then we're also recording data around what is the physical that they just purchased. So it becomes essentially its own NFT that is recording, again, contextual information about that moment. Because, again, who owned it? When are they purchasing this? So when did they own that exact NFT? What are they purchasing in terms of SKU, manufacturer, size, material, all this information about the physical itself? And then how many times has that unit, has that token been produced, been manufactured in, in a physical form? all of that data ends up becoming its own token, right? It essentially becomes a record, a snapshot 
of that NFT on chain, of that master NFT on chain. And then that snapshot is representing what that physical twin that the collector is receiving. So I know that's kind of a lot, a little bit abstract, but in practice, what it turns into is something like this. So this is an example of a custom unit. This was done for a very specific event where every unit has a unique QR code. This unique QR code, when you scan it, of course, it takes you to the token on chain. And you can say, look, I own it. But it also is connected to that data object that I just described. That is saying who authenticated this, when did they authenticate it, and what print edition number is that? Because the reality is, I could sell that token on chain tomorrow. Yeah. On secondary. Yeah. I could sell it on an, on OpenSea. Yeah. I still have this unit. I'll always have this unit. That token is now gone. Yeah. And when I scan the backside, you'll see I don't own it anymore. Yeah. You will see when I sold it, how much I sold it for. All of that data will always live on chain. We're not replacing your original NFT. Yeah. But the fact that I am holding the first printing of that NFT, and when that secondary market collector goes to authenticate their ownership and purchase their own physical, that is print number two. Yeah. And we're recording all of that on chain and creating provenance for the object itself. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. It is the whole other way to think about what the idea of like, what does merchandise even mean? Like a token gated ape hoodie is cool but a token gated a hoodie that is hoodie number 435 yeah. that was ordered by this wallet address yeah. on yeah. this date yeah like that is way more valuable and yeah. just another level of, of provenance and ownership well i mean if you think about like let's say 70 years from now again i go back to that lebron jersey let's say you have that lebron jersey immortalized and it's like Brad Pitt bought it and then he gave it away in an auction a charity auction and then i owned it and then i passed it on to my grandson and then my grandson sold it to some, a buyer in Germany who then, you know, sold it to like an actress in London. You know what I mean? Like there's like a story behind, like a historical record to an item that's a collectible, if you will. And I think as we're at the beginning of this, you know, like it's hard to conceptualize now, but what you just held on to that NFT NYC party, proof of party thing. And who knows, maybe like 70 years from now, that same thing will have an interesting backstory. It's like tracing like the genealogy of an object, but we're just at the beginning of that tree. Very much, very much. The other thing that our technology, the way that we've built this system is obviously what everything that I've described so far is about physicalizing a digital asset. And there's so many use cases for that today in the NFT community, but the NFT community is so tiny still. And to be honest, in the last three months, we've lost about 40%, maybe 80% of the NFT community has dropped off, right? What we are thinking about is how can blockchain and Web3 and the idea of, you know, unique tokens on chain, how can that be applied to any consumer packaged good? How can you think about purchasing a hat from Supreme or a bracelet from Cartier? And instead of like a stupid little certificate of authenticity that comes in there, sure, like the idea of of moving that on chain, lots of people are doing that. But we are thinking about How can the object become a distribution method where you are handed something, you scan it, maybe it's an NFC tag that you tap, maybe it's a barcode or a serial number, and then you claim a digital twin of that object. 
Yeah. So using the fact that I'm already a customer, a consumer that has, yeah. I've already lived my life regular. I'm buying things that I care about, maybe because I'm a fan of something or I like love that fashion, whatever it is. I then am claiming a digital twin, which maybe I care about blockchain. Maybe I yeah. will never care about blockchain. But all of a sudden, yes, I have my authenticity, certificate of authenticity on chain. But all of a sudden, I get access to whatever else that community of customers yeah. has access to. Yeah. Right. And this idea of brands and manufacturers being able to address their customers on chain is so powerful, incredibly yeah. powerful from a you know a marketing perspective, from mm-hmm. a customer experience and customer service perspective. And so we've really built the first block of what is going to become a protocol. Mm-hmm. And our first block is about physicalizing the digital. That's going A to B. But going physical to digital is a really, really exciting avenue. And, and again, yeah. is utilizing this new data architecture that we've been refining over the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's like a like an unintentional preview of like something you would be doing in the future with like a Supreme or Cartier or at the very yeah. least like something companies like that, I'm sure. Because what you're talking about, like, I mean, I'm actually speaking at an event this weekend about digital fashion. I think the idea about like digital and physical twinning and, you know, sometimes the term digital is used. Uh, you can think about, let's say, right, like um, an online yeah. community over Discord that meets IRL, like a digital NFT piece of jewelry. Like someone actually on the podcast a few episodes ago is this guy, Crypto Jeweler, and he makes NFTs that are like very high quality. He's a jeweler by trade. And then once you have the digital one, then you get shipped a few months later or whatever, like the physical one. And then there's this whole sort of community element where people can come together. And the thing you mentioned about maybe bigger brand, like if I buy, if someone buys like a Zara dress or something, and there's a element there where people can get different benefits from owning that because there's like a twinning element. This seems like a broader sort of trend here across, I guess, mainstream commerce that is related to Web3. And I don't think many people are talking about this. So I love that reflection and it's wonderful. You totally get it, Tony. You're fully understanding. Like I couldn't be more bullish on Web3 technology, but I got to say that like the NFT community is just the worst at marketing oh, themselves dude. and yeah. the technology. Like at this point, just saying NFT in some circles is just like poison. Like, yep. don't talk to yep. me about NFTs. That's, yep. what are you even saying right now? I have no interest. When you see, like, the word fidgetal, my God. Like, we're just... I was like, being provocative. Yeah. Not a good community for making up how this should be talked about in a useful way, in an exciting way, and in a way that, like, the mainstream will be adopting. So we just have a, a long way to go. All of this to say, we've got a really long way to go before NFTs as a technology are seen as something that's utilitarian, that's something that's in the background. I'm just doing my regular behavior. I'm not changing my behavior. I'm purchasing things like I usually would. I'm living my life. But there's blockchain-backed elements left and right. Like, that's what's going to happen. We won't even realize what's going to happen. Right now, setting up a fucking ETH wallet is just, it's for a regular person is not. not It's for me. It's comfortable. Yeah. It's not comfortable, it's not natural, and it's it's not easy. So there's just, we've got a long, long way to go. None of this is new. I'm not saying anything that's groundbreaking here, but I do think that the mainstream consumer will be interacting with blockchain yeah. way sooner than we know. And I think that Infinite Objects will set up really uniquely to just totally. you know, crush it there. I think what you said, again, it's not like you're the only person in the world saying that, but it's still not said enough. The sort of 
I feel like there's like an emperor has no clothes issue with Web3 where it's like people just, you know what I mean? Like there's not, they like hesitate to say that something is like shit because it's like going against the cult. I'm curious to know like if from your background, it seems like you might have a unique background that not everybody has here. I'd love for you even as as briefly or as uh, intensely as you'd like to talk about maybe how your background in like design and all these other things you've done led you to where you are today. And maybe if you look back on it, I don't even think like a lot of things I like to explore in different episodes are like someone who might be starting a sports card company right now because they were like this diehard baseball fan. And it's like they, they always remember when they were six years old, their dad took them to a game. And that's the reason why. So I'm not sure if there's like the same you know story with you and your dad. But like if you look back on what your life has led to to this point, if you reflect on that, what in your background has led to you doing this right now? When I was in third grade. I started playing the saxophone and I played nice. saxophone all the way through college. I was a music <laughs> major. Wow. I was a music composition major. I started playing guitar in middle school. I was in many yeah. bands. I had yeah. a bunch of little punk bands in LA and then in, in uh, Northern California where I went to, went to college. I lived with my band. Like music was my whole life. Yeah. But the, the reality is in my undergrad, I had two majors. One of them was music composition and the other one was called Technocultural Studies. Technocultural Studies was a new concept in terms of ed- academia that was really about how technology and sociology kind of in terms of studies, how has our, our lives, how has our behaviors, how have our expectations around how we live changed over you know, the last thousand years? Marshall McLuhan kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 exactly. McLuhan, Heidegger, Ray Kurzweil, a lot of this very theoretical, what are cyborgs and, and how are we interfacing with machines? And then the other half of that program was just production, was both video production, audio production, oh. and then programming. And so I just became obsessed with generative audio and also video production as well. But like, because music was my whole life up until that point, I'm exaggerating. It wasn't my whole life, but it was certainly like, that was my shit. I got really into programming in the second half of undergrad and got really fascinated and inspired by generative artwork, period, Mm -hmm. whether that was audio or visual. And so when I finished undergrad, I, I decided to go to grad school immediately. And that program, like I mentioned, was called Design and Technology. It was at uh, MFA at Parsons School for Design Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here in New York. And at Parsons, I had just, I was exposed to incredible creators and artists and designers. Like one of my mentors at the time was Zach Lieberman. I don't know if you know Mm -hmm. Zach Lieberman. Yeah, he's done incredible artwork. He's doing art block stuff now, but he invented, or he was one of the co-founders of Open Frameworks, which is a C++ programming format. Uh, have you heard of processing JS or processing I have, I've heard of it. in general? Yeah, not an expert, but heard of it. Right. So yeah, all of the first art blocks pieces were literally processing uh, sketches, processing scripts on minted on chain. Eric and I have, have bonded over, over this kind of, he was also a nerd at that time. Because I'm talking about <laughs> 20, 2011, 2012, 2013. And uh, in terms of creative technology, that was one of the kind of foundational tools 
was uh, yeah. Processing JS. Well, Processing JS came out a little bit later, but Processing as a platform and a, and a framework, and then Open Frameworks as well in C++. And Arduino is something that if anyone listening is, is into you know DIY hardware, I became a, an Arduino just expert, you know, big community member there and, and developed lots of things in that space. And, and so being exposed to the kind of creative technology arena, you know, back when I was, this, when I started grad school, I was 22, 23. And at that time, it was just so inspirational to see all of the different kind of applications and weird experiences we could start to generate just by, uh, you know, hacking together some code and then connecting it to a sensor network or whatever, right? And it was just definitely inspired me towards this space to where we are now. But there's no question that my kind of the biggest takeaway here, I think, is my favorite parts of all of that work and all of those kinds of experiments was magic, was when something felt like magic, when there was Mm. something that was unexpected, when there was something that was surprising, when something did something that I just did not predict. And at least it made me smile. That was the kind of like notion or the feeling that I just always was the most excited about it and kind of chased. And so, you know, when it came to to working with Giphy, Giphy was such a creative company as well. They have their own artist, you know, network and their own artist relations team and took a lot of inspiration, on, you know, from how they set up their entire thing. Now they're, you know, now they're part of Facebook. It's It's a different world today. But back then they were scrappy and just making lots of stuff. And so... The things that ended up leading to infinite objects, certainly it all definitely made sense and aligned. When it came to the product itself, like I still pride myself on people comparing us to Harry Potter. People literally are like, that's like Harry Potter. So yeah, yeah. moving picture. I'm like, yep, exactly. And it has no buttons. It turns on in your hand when you take it out of the box. It's a really unique user experience. And and uh, and so that kind of magical and surprising elements to the UX is always going to be a part of what we do. No, oh, that's Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And I see a lot of, honestly, a lot of parallels with my interests as well. So that's really awesome to hear. Now, two things, maybe there's two questions that might be able to be answered with one answer. One question is, what are you most excited about? I'm excited about right now in the world, broadly speaking, Web3 technology, NFTs, blockchain. And two, what is something that you're excited about that maybe you haven't talked about already? So maybe, maybe there's one answer there, just throwing it out there. So I mentioned Artblocks like eight times. I'm such a fan of what they do. I think that when it comes to the diversity and the kind of the way that they're thinking about kind of structuring a platform around generative content on chain, on chain generative, it's just, I think that they are in a league of their own. Mm. I think that Bright Moments, Seth, they are doing so much amazing shit. Like the way that they think about IRL, because I think one thing that Bright Moments has definitely, what I agree with them, and I don't know if this might turn some of of the listeners off, but we don't live in the metaverse yet. Okay. As exciting as it is to talk about the metaverse, like, and while I think that, yeah, in the future, there is going to be just huge amounts of adoption and participation and and just like real, real use cases and and huge communities that are using Metaverse in in a useful way. We're not there. We're not even close to there yet. Today, we still have a life where we get up in the morning, we drink some coffee, we go outside, I walk my dog, pick up my dog's shit. Like all of this is real life. Bright Moments is thinking about how can we bring artwork? How can we bring Web3 and blockchain to people who, again, don't know what blockchain is, 
through real world experiences. And they're very poetic about it. They're very thoughtful about it. Yeah. It is very experiential. Like the entire, everything that they think about is about experience. I think that's really, really exciting. And I think the fact that they have everything when they do their minting experiment or their minting events, everything is all about generative artwork because you don't know what you're going to get. Mm. With gen- A PFP project, like some designer has sat there and created every asset, right? And yes, there's ostensibly an algorithm that's randomizing it and you have no idea what tokens are going to be more rare or less rare or what you know attributes are going to be attached whatever with generative artwork it's just a you know it's literally we are giving the computer the keys and saying okay go and that's just a it's you know that makes it its own thing and i think bright moments choosing that type of platform is absolutely brilliant from a kind of conceptual and experiential approach. So like, I'm excited. There's so much cool stuff happening, especially now when all the, all the people who came in here, the speculative investors, they're all gone. Thank God. Thank God. Because they were some of the most toxic people. Sadly, the community, I feel like still needs. There's a lot of toxicity. Still, there's some toxicity. toxicity. There's still toxicity. Yeah. Yeah. But, Yeah, I think we can both be optimistic, pragmatically optimistic. And actually, I went to Bright Moments event in London, I think about like a month ago or something. It's really great. Yeah, we were there. Oh, you were there? there Yeah, we were doing live NFT printing. Now, I end the podcast with the same two questions. So first question being, where can people find you? Shout outs, like website, social media, whatever. And the second question, what's one last message you'd like to leave with the audience? Let's see, the first one infiniteobjects.com at infiniteobjects on every platform. I love our TikTok. Our TikTok does not get enough love. Our Twitter also, we need a lot of work on our Twitter. If there's any community folks out there, we're looking for community manager people. We're very much a small company. We're a tiny team. We're 20, 22 people right now, but we've got massive plans. So, you know, if if you're excited about the idea of, of what it means to bring provenance, blockchain provenance into the real world and uh, bring the real world onto the chain, please hit us up. I don't know. The last thing, like, I like that we're talking about attitude and I like that we're talking about kind of, you know, there's something about, there's something about being genuine and having, building things because you want to build them because you're excited about what you're building and not necessarily because of the bags that you're going to get after you build them. And I guess, yeah, just in general, like, I think everyone should just be like always, you know, and, and this doesn't just apply to web three or, or, you know, this NFT community, like just in general, like I, I hope that everyone is taking a minute to reflect and a, maybe this is every week or every day, but to say like, make sure that you're, you're spending your time doing shit that you love, because I think the whole world benefits when we're, when we're focused on that and not focused on floor prices. Yeah. Or like, what am I getting from my investment here? X, Y community leader. Like, I I don't know. People walk around pretty uh, entitled, like they are owed a lot of things. And I think everyone should just be focused on producing, on making and, and uh, doing that you know, for love. So anyway, that's my message. Thanks so much, Joe. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You're the best. Thank you, Tony. This is great. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about Joe and infinite objects in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.